Bluefield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Tuesday, Sam Paniatovich is in from Nesson and Fox Sports. Sam, are you safe? That's my first concern. I saw some chatter over the weekend. <laughs> uh, you always get the Twitter tough guys with the uh, threats. People get very worked up over betting. I made a pretty interesting tweet, I thought, all things considered. Mac Jones stinks. Zach Wilson stinks. This game stinks. The end. That was the tweet. It exploded. A bunch of uh, New England radio people got a hold of it, retweeted it. I'm still getting responses from that tweet on Sunday. But many people very protective of their security blankie quarterback, Mac Jones, man. And look, the game was 3-3 three to three with a minute to go in regulation. They didn't score an offensive point, and I still think Mac Jones stinks, but people get so freaking sensitive, like he's the greatest thing on earth, and oh my God, he threw for 246 yards. It, like That's not even a big number anymore. Quarterbacks are throwing for 300, 350, 400 yards. This guy throws for, for 246, no touchdowns, no offensive points, and... You can't critique him. It's unbelievable. There's got to be a pretty robust Bailey Zappy crowd, though, no? There is. Um, I I wasn't expecting the Zappy question. I, I was more prepared for Mac. You look at his season stats, Steve. Like, let me ask you, how many touchdowns does Mac Jones have this year? Passing. I have no idea. It's got to be pretty low. Take a guess. Um, Ten. Four. <laughs> he has four touchdown passes, yeah. seven interceptions. He's barely cracking 200 yards per game, but we have to kiss his ass every time you know he completes 70% of his passes and the team scores 12 points or 16 points. And I'm just, look, I call it the way I see it. That's why you and I are friends. That's why I come on your show. You cannot sit here and say that the quarterback was good when he threw for 246 yards and the team didn't score. Period. Good. Well, I hope New England fans uh, pound the Patriots side because I think off of what happened to the Vikes that there's actually a lot of value here. I will guarantee a Minnesota will bounce back and Minnesota won't score three points. <laughs> I would agree with that. Um, pay attention to that Vikings offensive line, though. Christian Derrissaw, left tackle, probably not going to play. They have a couple other guys banged up on that line. So if Kirk Cousins doesn't get the protection that he needs to make these throws and scan the field, that could be very alarming. And I looked at the total in this game, 42.5, down from 43 on the open, 43.5. This, honestly, Steve, could be 2017, 23-17 final. It feels like a lower game because, as I just talked about, the Patriots' offense blows. And the one thing they've been very good at is getting a pass rush led by Matthew Judon, and stuffing the run. So if Kirk Cousins doesn't get protection and Minnesota can't run the ball with Dalvin Cook, this might be closer than people think. And obviously we look at the betting board now. The threes have all but disappeared. Most book in Vegas, most books I should say, are down to Minnesota minus two and a half. It looks easy to lay that, but man, that's respect to knock that off the three. And it was even more respect to open it Minnesota minus three. So I'm not going to bet the side. I'll probably go under 42 and a half. That'll be the uh, late game on Thanksgiving night. You know, I love betting this league because I love going counter to where everyone's thinking. And yeah, the Giants didn't look good last week and the Cowboys looked unbelievable. This to me is ridiculous. Nine and a half point spread with Dallas favored. New York's a better team 
from a Whoa. coaching standpoint. Okay, I was, a coaching I was, standpoint. Okay, I was like, I'm not no, willing Dallas, to say they're a better team. Okay, Dallas is much better across the board on the field, but when it comes to getting the squad prepared on a short week, I give the advantage big time schematically, preparation wise, to Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, the New York Giants. I agree with you. This is um, I call this the accordion, right? Where things start in the middle and they get pulled all the way apart. This look ahead number two weeks ago is Cowboys minus five. And now we're at nine, nine and a half. I imagine this thing might touch 10 by Thanksgiving Day, especially if Buffalo covers, because then all the favorites going to roll over. Um, you know, Dallas will become more liable and then Minnesota will become more liable. And it's also, you know, a pretty low total for an NFL game, 45, 45 and a half to be able to take 10 in a divisional game on Thanksgiving. Like, I think Dallas's defense is great, but you're right. The Giants just lost and the Cowboys won huge. So everybody's going to look at last week in the NFL and go, oh, well, Dallas will at least blow out the Giants. Giants are cover cows, man. Seven and three ATS this year for the New York football Giants, and that's because they're never not prepared to play in the NFL. Sam Paniadovich on Cofield and Company. So I have strong feelings on the first, uh, well, the first two Thanksgiving games we mentioned in the NFL. The actual first game of the day is the Lions and the Bills. It's a 10-point spread. Bills are in Detroit for a second straight week. I have no idea to where, where to go in this game. None. The over got steamed big time, you know, 51 and a half on the open. Now we're at 54, 54 and a half. I, I hate chasing the bad number. You know, I don't want to sit here and go, it's a great bet to go over 54 and a half. But man, you know, Detroit could give up, you know, 38 in this game easily. One of the worst defenses in football. Can't stop the run. Awful against the pass. Josh Allen is, you know, you know, the abominable snowman, if you will. He's like, you know, one of the, uh, um, one of the craziest players that we've seen at this level in a long time. He could do pretty much anything on the field. And look, Buffalo's defense isn't that great. You know, their secondary's banged up. The Lions run the football well. Amandra St. Brown's been a pretty solid number one receiver for Detroit. Jared Goff has put up some decent numbers this year. Um, this might be one of those track beat games. How about like 38-27 or 38-31? I, I think the move on the over is very strong. Obviously, the number's a little higher than it opened. But I still don't hate. If you could find a 54 in Vegas, I'd go over. Sam Paniadovich, as we break down Thanksgiving Day games in the NFL, we'll get to the Sunday games here in a second, some college football as well. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? I will be out here because I refuse to fly back to Chicago twice in 30 days. Um, <laughs> call it uh, call it cheapskatism, if you will. But, um, yeah, not going to happen. So what my family has done since I've been out here in Boston the last handful of years we do Thanksgiving as a family the week after. Oh, wow. Um, well, this goes back to back when I was a kid. You know, I, I'm Serbian. My father's 100% Serbian. So we would do Serbian Christmas on January 7th. We'd always celebrate, you know, American Christmas or, you know, Christian Christmas, whatever. Celebrate that on the 25th and then Serbian Christmas on the 7th. But my dad would always say, you get the good stuff on January 7th, you know, because it's all all the prices have been whacked down from, from December. So, yeah, we... um. We sort of reinvented the wheel. We're going to do Thanksgiving in December, December one, two, three. We've been talking all week about the Thanksgiving sides that suck. Like, you you know, you show up to the family deal or someone comes in to visit and they bring something and you're like, this blows. 
Is there anything that you don't like? Or like, like I, you know what I felt? First of all, there's anti-turkeyers. A lot of people are, are turning on the turkey. And the other one is uh, people are now becoming anti-pumpkin uh, pyres. So you got anything that you're like, yeah, you know what? That's on the Thanksgiving table every year. No, thank you. I don't think I've eaten cranberry sauce in a decade. Yep, I don't hate one. it. I just don't. Yeah. I don't like it. And it's not really a hot take. It's just, and then you get that one family member, the hillbilly, that goes, "I like it out of the can." It's like you're a hillbilly. <laughs> I actually, um, I actually am a hillbilly from New Jersey because I would rather have the can, you know, the jello what? slices. I don't know. It was like like my father's tradition. He loved he loved it. I'd rather have that than the actual sort of fresh cranberries. I know I'm crazy. I'm, I'm well, you, you have to if you listen enough, the audience knows. I am low-grade trash. I'm an animal in terms of eating, so it makes sense that I would eat the gelatinous mess out of a can. Well, hey, look, to each their own. Have I told you, by the way, I don't think we've ever talked about this, at least on the air. Have I told you about the time I went to Thanksgiving dinner at Tony Miller's when I lived in Vegas? Ah, Big Tone from the Golden Nugget. What happened? Well, it wasn't his. He didn't host, but he invited me because I'm out in Vegas by myself. You know, my parents are in Florida. My brother's in Chicago, and I need a place to go. And Tony said, buddy, come, come over. We're going to go to, you know, so-and-so's house and we're going to have Thanksgiving. And it was awesome. I mean, the people were great. The drinks were great. Very strong. The sides were amazing. But whoever was in charge of the turkey kept taking the turkey out of the oven every 15 minutes and basting it with hot oil. Oh. I'm watching this happen. And I'm like, Tony, <laughs> she's blowing turkey dinner. Like, this turkey's going to suck. Every 15 minutes, she takes it out of the hot oven and zaps it and zaps it. The skin, great. The bird, dry. Total oh. bone dry. It was, and, and you could see it coming. Like, that's the worst part. I'm like, Tony, this turkey is not going to fly. Sunday NFL. <laughs> Are the Raiders back? Because the bookmakers, again, showed them pretty good respect. The better said, no, we're going to start betting Seattle. What do you think of this one? Nice transition there by you. That's why you make the big bucks. <laughs> Are the Raiders back? No. The Raiders are 3-7. and seven. You know, they're one of the worst teams in football. Um, but that goes to show you that Denver is just as bad. Um, Devontae Adams is awesome, and they've pretty, pretty much wasted that talent all season long. As for this game, honestly, I'd go over 47.5. Not to play totals on your show all day long, but I don't want to lay 3.5 with Seattle I need more with Vegas because the good thing about Seattle is they can run the ball really well. Their offensive line is getting good push up front. Kenneth Walker the third runs like a maniac. Um, I, I just see a lot of points here. 28-24, 31-27, something like that. Vegas is going to score. I don't like either defense, Steve, is what I'm getting at. So I would just bet on offense and go over 47.5 Vegas-Seattle. Chicken X Dinner is the podcast. You're going to see more of Sam Paniovich's stuff up on uh, Nesson and also with Fox Sports. He's at SP Shoot up on Twitter. Uh, you know, this is one of those dog games from an appearance standpoint, but both teams have actually piled up some wins, but they both have young quarterbacks who have their flaws. What do we do with Jets four and a half against the Bears now that Fields might be very dinged up? So I've made some calls to Chicago. I know a lot of people around that team and around that city, and it doesn't sound like he's going to play. Now, they've called him day-to-day, but when you think about the fundamentals of the situation, I get it. You want to grow his game, develop his play, all that jazz. I get it. But at the same time, you have to preserve his health. If he goes out there and just gets drilled by a very good Jets defensive front and gets hurt even worse – then you set the team back even more than they already are. They are 3-8 and eight right now, Steve. 
if the season ended today, the Chicago Bears pick second overall in the NFL draft, then you could get Will Anderson from Alabama, stud edge rusher. You could get the left tackle of the future to pair with Justin Fields. Why are you trying to win? Why? There, there's no point to win right now. Go to the bottom. Go to the bottom. Seriously. So I expect it to be Trevor Simeon, and we don't know if Zach Wilson is going to start for the Jets. It might be Joe Flacco or Mike White. So my advice right now on a Tuesday would be to look at that total. And as you see, it's gone from 40 and a half to 40. There are some 39 and a halfs popping. Dude, this might be 13-10. These two offenses blow. And the Jets, like I said, up front, they're good. Chicago, the only reason Chicago has been scoring is because their quarterback is from another planet. He can run. He can run you over, run by you, run around you, throw on the run, bootlegs, designed runs, all that. Trevor Simeon can't do any of that. So the Jets are going to pin their ears back, rush the quarterback all game long. This is going to be one of the worst games of the season, buddy. Two of the worst offenses, two of the worst teams. How are they going to score over 40 points? How? Another rough game to play, and it's only because the Chargers are basically unplayable when they're favorites. Do you have any confidence in the Chargers going to Zona and taking care of business uh, by five or more? This Brandon Staley experiment is not really working out. You know, we thought he was super smart last year. Would he go for two all the time? And then it basically cost them a berth in the playoffs. And now they're basically a fringe playoff team. I don't think he's long for the job. And and the the problem with this game on both sides, I'm going to pass the game. I don't want to bet either side, is that you have two young quarterbacks that don't believe in their coaches anymore. That's what it feels like, at least from afar. Like, I don't think Justin Herbert respects Brandon Staley anymore. We know Cliff Kingsbury is going to get launched out of town in Arizona. Kyler Murray could care less. You know, you have two sort of quarterbacks that are like, yeah, whatever. And it's, it's hard to bet on two teams with coaches that aren't long for the job. Um, so I'm going to pass this one. Lean to the Chargers, maybe Chargers in a money line parlay. Um, you know, Chargers with the uh, with the Eagles money line parlay or something like that. But I'm not laying points, not taking points in this one. Uh, let's go back to the NFC for a second for one last NFL point. I saw that uh, the Circa folks were talking about the uh, National Football Conference and saying that the Niners are the highest power rated team, that uh, they would be favored just about anywhere, right? even on the neutral field, um, against the rest of the NFC. They're the best team. It makes sense, and I think we learned the hard way for those of us that took Minnesota in contests or with the points or teased them or whatever. You know, Minnesota, they're 8-2, and two, but their point differential is minus 2. You know, it, it was almost unsustainable, and it, it really showed. Um, but, yeah, the only two teams that have po- uh, higher power ratings right now are Kansas City and Buffalo than San Francisco. So, you know, the crew at Circa believes that San Fran has a better rating than Philly, than Dallas, than obviously the New York Giants, than Seattle, than Tampa. Um, yeah, and I don't I don't disagree. You know, the one thing about San Fran was that they were just crippled on the defensive side of the ball. There was a game a month ago, they were down five starters, including Nick Bosa. And finally, the offense is healthy. I mean, we saw last night for the first time a healthy McCaffrey, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk. That's a scary offensive lineup to mess with. And, you know, when healthy, that's one of the best defensive lines in the game. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, I, I think, you know, that's not a bad bet right now to win the NFC, win the Super Bowl. Um, I don't like them to win the whole thing. But if you bet NFC right now, 
and go with San Francisco, you could find a pretty decent price because there's still a lot of gargling going on with Philly. You could find San Fran like four to one right now to win the NFC. And bookmakers will tell you that is the best team in the NFC when healthy. The question is, can they stay healthy? Do you know what happened today at the books with the uh, flipping over to another football World Cup? Saudi Arabia, I think, was plus 2,000 to win the game. Did the books win on that? Oh, yeah, big time. Big time. And there's a lot of money in the future pool on Argentina. You know, there's a lot of money on Messi to uh, golden boot, golden ball, all that jazz. Um, I did see this, and and Todd Furman tweeted this out. You know, he used to run the book at Caesars. He said that Saudi Arabia, when they went down 1-0, they were 170 to win the money line live. Imagine that. Like, you know, I wouldn't have bet it. You wouldn't have bet it because we all thought Argentina goes up 1-0. They're going to win 5-0 or whatever. Um, but yeah, I did see 25 to one, you know, on the three-way line before the game and 170 to one that they would win the match down one, nothing. Isn't that insane? Oh my God, I know college football, a couple big games. And we got to get you out of here. Cause I know you're very busy today. Sam Paniotovich up on Cofield and company. Boy, I don't trust any of the teams that are, you know, in good position to make the CFP in tough games. Do we take Notre Dame plus five against SC? I don't think so. Their offense is not good, you know, and you look at their schedule and it's like, wow, Notre Dame has really played uh, played well down the stretch. And then it's like, OK, but who have they beaten? You know, OK, I'll give you Clemson, but Clemson's offense stinks. They beat Navy, Boston College, Syracuse. I up, yeah, I watched them up close against UNLV and I thought UNLV played them kind of even for three quarters. Uh, my biggest problem is I think they can get downhill and run the ball and their defense is OK, but. I'm not a Drew Pine guy at all. No, he's not very good. And I think what Notre Dame, to your point, what Notre Dame does on offense, they grind you down third, fourth quarter, especially in that fourth quarter, because their line is massive. And, you know, three quarters have taken a beating in the trenches. Your defensive line eventually just gives way, and the dam breaks and the flood happens. So uh, the good thing about USC is that they have big dudes on the D-line that are going to be in the NFL really soon. And that offense is electric. I mean, there are six pros on that offense. Two on the line, two at wide receiver, the quarterback, you know, one of the running backs, uh, maybe even the tight end. You're going to have to score with USC. Total 64. That's a USC total, if you know what I mean. You know, maybe like 41, 28 USC. I think the Trojans win and, uh, and then maybe make a late push for the CFP. Man, I've been talking about Michigan taking out Ohio State for about a month. I like the value on the Michigan side. Now it's seven and a half, but the problem is their running back, Blake Corum, sounds like he's not going to play unless uh, the lineman who kind of spilled the beans on Michigan was just setting us up, which I don't think kids are that sinister. Uh, who knows if Harbaugh would instruct someone to say that. But if, if Corum doesn't play, I know they have another really good running back. I don't think they can beat Ohio State. He's a baseline for everything they do on offense, and that's the problem. Even if he plays, I wouldn't expect much. It's unfortunate. You know, he he left the game against Illinois with a knee injury, came back, ran it one more time, five yards, and then he was like, all right, I'm done. So if you don't have him, you know, everything else becomes more difficult. The passing game becomes more difficult, and they haven't been able to really pass the ball all that well. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of an uphill battle. You know, the reason Michigan won last year – is because they dominated on the offensive line and the defensive line. And, oh, by the way, they had Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. They may have none of that going into Ohio State. And the problem is, you know, Steve, Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud have had this game circled for a whole year. Um, it's going to be tough to go in the horseshoe and win, man. So I, I, I'd probably lay the 7.5 with, uh, with the Bucks. 
Sam, you're awesome. Have a good holiday, and we'll catch up with you next Tuesday. Lots of winners this weekend. You too, buddy. Good luck, and uh, don't base the turkey all day. Learn your lesson. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. I think the Chiefs are without question the favorite right now. If we're talking about the team building the most momentum toward the postseason, it, it is them. And perhaps Chiefs fans will tell you they've been there all along while we're all talking about all these other teams, but they very clearly uh, have their mojo going right now. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? My God. In the lane. Thanks to Sam Pantyotovich for jumping on. Cofield and Company, Von Tobel, Cofield, hanging out in California around a basketball tournament. UNLV is involved. We'll talk some more Rebels basketball in a couple of minutes as UNLV picked up the win last night to go 5-0 and against Southern Illinois. Hard-fought win, so we'll get some more of the comments of Kevin Kruger and some of the players again in a, just a couple of minutes. Jeff Darlington there on uh, ESPN National. He's one of the NFL writers for ESPN.com. I thought the Chiefs were there all along. Now, I don't think the Chiefs are some giant favorite in the AFC. If you remember back to the preseason, uh, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I expected Patrick Mahomes to be fine without Tyreek Hill, and he's been fine without Tyreek Hill because he's still at Travis Kelsey, and he's a good enough quarterback that he can make weapons out of twos and threes, and Kelsey's been ridiculous. Mm. Kelsey was uncoverable against the Chargers, and if they're going to call – PIs, check that. If they're going to call defensive holding on, you know, clenching in the middle of the field, it's impossible to cover the guy, and that's what happened of course. to the Chargers. They got, uh, whether it was screwed or whatever, they they got a flag. Um, first of all, before I get to the Chiefs, what do the Chargers have to do to beat the Chiefs? Because they're super competitive. They lost both games by a witch's whatever. Um, what do they have to do? I mean, like what what should what were they supposed to do at the end of the game? Did they actually need to run clock and go? We'll score a touchdown on third down after we run clock more. I mean, I think so. You you really you have that much confidence and you're going to risk it because what a field goal is is a guarantee to get it to twenty three twenty three. Right. So they scored too quickly. Yeah. They needed to be concerned about leaving one forty five on the clock. Try to get it down. To around a minute. Yes, because that's exactly what happened. And and from a team that is horrific at times in the red zone inside the 10. Got to. I, I, under, I understand it, but I, I also think that's kind of results-based thinking. But, it's, but I mean, it's – Your defense has got to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes from going down the field in a minute and five seconds. Well, of course, defense, on the their defense needs to be better. And, like, that's what we've talked about here with Staley. Staley's defenses have not been very good for a Don't rush for coach. That's they were just dropping everybody back and rushing four, and that that pocket was opening up. Mahomes was either stepping up and delivering, or he was taking off for extra runs. But at the same time, it's not results oriented for the most part. I mean, Steve, it's not just that game. That's, that's a big sample. It, it was the, there's a big sample size of there. They are the Chiefs are with Patrick Mahomes, the Golden State Warriors, right? It is rebound, blink of an eye up the field, and now all of a sudden in scoring position. You know, it's the Warriors rip and run and get a transition bucket. And like look. twenty twenty five and four now against the division, and I think fourteen straight on the road in the division. Yeah, I was gonna say we saw that right. That was a stat when we were watching the broadcast. He's undefeated on the road in the division, Patrick Mahomes. That's that's insanity. 
And but you can't do it. The Buffalo Bills learned. Steve, the, the Bills lost that game because they gave up a field goal attempt in 13 seconds. <laughs> it's what happens with him. AFC Championship right now, Bills 2-1, to one, Chiefs plus 210, Ravens 6, on and on and on. Who's If you had to bet one, who would you bet, Bills or Chiefs? Chief, or excuse me, Chiefs. Bills or Chiefs, you said, or Bills or Ravens? Bills or Chiefs, the two favorites. Chiefs. I think I, 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 I can't bet against. I'm, I'm trying to make a case in my head for the Bills, but I can't because here's the other problem. Josh Allen's turning into Josh Allen. Well, he's he's been mistake prone, but we just talked about the ability to run some clock in a late game situation to keep the ball away from the Chiefs. Can the Bills find a way to run clock? No, can't run the ball. Nope. Or they have an unwillingness to try to run the ball. The, the their their running game is Josh Allen. That's it. And now all of a sudden, Josh Allen can't stop committing turnover-worthy plays. He's putting the ball all over the place. And uh, if, yeah, keep going. No, I was just going to say, and if you watch, like, analysis on his game and you see some of the interceptions he's throwing, like, these aren't even bad reads. Like, these are – he's staring at – it was a Gardner who picked him off in the Jets game. Like, he's staring at him dropping into coverage, and he's throwing these interceptions. More fascinating video or photo to come out of the weekend around the Chiefs. Was it – Henry Winkler, the Fonz, looking lovingly at Patrick Mahomes. He got to meet him. I didn't know that Winkler was a gigantic Chiefs fan. I think I put this picture in the rundown. It's it's crazy. He looks so happy to have met Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mahomes' 6'9 brother is standing right next to him. So it's just one of these pictures. I think when I found it on social media, it was like, please – Please come up with a description for this. The Fonz at, you know, 76 years old. I like Henry Winkler. Still a great actor. Um, on Barry, right? I don't know if you watch Barry. But Henry Winkler meeting Patrick Mahomes is just, he looks like a super fan. <laughs> it's so cool. And and he's also, Henry Winkler's a tiny guy. Yeah. So you're next to freaking 6'9 brother and, you know, Mahomes is 6'3", 6'4". So he's tiny. Or the weird, uh, distressing fight outside of SoFi with some bridge over a wash where fans, I can't tell who's rooting for which team, but fans get into it after the game, and some guy gets thrown off a bridge. Probably like, what do you think that was, a 15-foot drop into, was, into a little wash? I think at the highest. But I mean, if he got up, but if yeah. he'd fallen the wrong way, the guy could be paralyzed. I would say that I think that was a good thing that he got thrown off the bridge. I think that man was diffusing the situation. Clearly he was not going to stop. <laughs> so the dude in the Lincoln Green Church just picked him up and threw him over the bridge. Said, you know what? You can't keep doing it if you're 10 feet below us. People joked. It literally it looked like a battle royale. <laughs> like someone got thrown over the top rope, except it was a bridge over a wash. Onto cement. <laughs> like, yeah. He got up. He's fine. Just don't start something. I don't, I don't want to crap on live events because we were just raving earlier on the show about, yay, Final Four is coming yeah. to Vegas in 2028. But, man, we've got to get a hold on fan behavior. I mean, to read a story and then watch videos of a fight outside of Dodger Stadium at an Elton John concert. What are we doing? Regularly Where some old violence. couple gets double knocked out by some animals from Colorado. It's not even double knocked out. The guy, like the video that I got to see where the guy is on the ground, he's clearly still, you know, active because he's writhing around because he's hurting, and the dude just comes over, and it's like, for anybody who has ever seen it, it's like Batman, where Batman just comes up to the criminal and just socks him in the back of the head to knock him out. Like, it's exactly what happened. Someone's incapacitated. That's not enough. I have to knock him out cold. Yep. 
look, it's it's not even just fan; it's just human behavior. It's what humans do. And clearly, you know, with some videos out there, if they are true about the background of these people, uh, they were real animals who were just out there in public, probably drinking too much, and escalating a situation that did not need to be escalated. That is the danger of these live events. You can't just pick and choose who gets to go. If you got the money, you can go. And sometimes people like that show up and start stuff. Yeah. Have your head on a swivel and don't. I guess, I guess until you have to like really defend yourself. If there's an option to get out, just freaking get out and walk away because there's some people out there who just don't absolutely do not care. Yep. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at BJVT or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. About 25 minutes left in the program. JVT's here. It's Cofield. Want to win $15,000? That could be your rent or mortgage for a year. ESPN Las Vegas and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, coming together to give you a chance to win fifteen grand to help cover your rent, mortgage, whatever you want to do with the money. All you got to do is go to lvsportsnetwork.com, 18 or older, enter for your chance to win $15,000. Aaron Taylor's awesome. ESPN Las Vegas and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, have come together. $15,000 up for grabs. Make sure you sign up, register now at lvsportsnetwork.com. So we watched a couple of good basketball games last night, Minnesota and Cal Baptist, and UNLV, your running Rebels, took out a gritty, gutty, tough, solid, fundamentally SIU team. A little shorthanded because two of their bigs are out. I don't know if you know that uh, mm-hmm. their bigs, Ibube, is out six to eight weeks because he broke his fingers in a scooter accident. 275 probably should not be on a scooter. Was it like a Razor scooter? I don't know what happened. I didn't get to look into the details, but I just saw that something happened on a scooter. And then their other big guy has a back issue, Mula. Hmm. So they'll be a little bigger and badder. They were a good team. They had really good ball movement for like 25 minutes, but UNLV's defense gave them a lot of problems, and the script has played out so far in this unbeaten start for UNLV where they play intense defense from the beginning of the game. It keeps going until about 10 minutes left, and then all of a sudden they've got a run in them, and the other team can't freaking score. And Kevin Kruger last night pointed to one of the defenders. If you look at the head of the defense is Eli Parquet, one of the Power 5 transfers they brought in from Colorado. And I'm telling you, folks, like, you're going to grow to love defense. And I know it's not the most sexy thing. You know, they're not winning 85-78 every game. But listen to Kruger talk about Parquet and just how the opposition, uh, after a while, is like, enough. A large part of it is, uh, you know, EP, Eli Parquet, the way he picks up the ball full court. Um, you know, when, when it gets down into the second half and those possessions get a little – uh, just kind of a little tighter, you know, it's really annoying to have somebody in your jersey the whole game. Uh, the way Jackie comes in and, and picks up the ball full. So it's kind of a continuous 40-minute thing where the guys are just pushing that first catch out a little bit farther, making that, you know, second catch a little bit, you know, off target. And I think over time that just, uh, it, that's annoying to play against. Do you see it with Parquet? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, that would be agonizing to go through that for an entire contest. And, and that's the thing, like, it's not even about the intensity. You can't shake him almost. Yeah. He is so good laterally. He's always there. And he's, he's not never... this, like, crazy, wild defender. Like, no. Keyshawn Gilbert's a good defender, and he was really good last year. We would come in, and it was kind of a frenzy. Parquet's one of these guys who kind of, like, lulls you to sleep. Like, he's just slide, slide, slide. I mean, it sounds stupid, but he doesn't have much movement. It's just, just solid defense. And think about it. 
if you're a point guard, any of the guards bringing the ball up the floor, you're generally given a free trip up, and then you start getting into the offense. You know, you're into it hopefully by 23, 22. There are times you look up because Parquet's busting someone's chops coming up the floor that the other team's offense isn't getting going until like 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Yep. And like his reaction time, obviously, because he can move so laterally. Like he's never, he's never in the wrong spot. He's never behind. Like that's the thing. You don't see crazy watching. reaches. You don't nope. see hacks. Well, and that's there was a. I think there was a foul he was called for last night. Like I thought it was perfectly fine where he put his hand and he was called for it. You can tell. Obviously, he was, they're always irritated by it. But like little things like that, he's rarely called for. He's did, been fantastic. Did you think the officials last night were a little charge happy? Uh, yeah, I think they. Enjoyed- there were a lot of charges, and it was like back to back plays. I think they. I think they got sucked into the game. Like once they called a charge, and one of the coaches complained about it, they looked really close on the next trip or another trip, and they're like, Meh, going the other way. They loved uh, the, the somewhat yoked ref kind of liked to uh, put his hand behind his head. Like, <laughs> yeah, let, me, let me show him the forearms real quick. That said, if you know that's the way the game is being officiated, then you have to have a sack to sit there and take take the charge. Yeah, like, and Gilbert did it. Harkless did it. Well, and then in Southern Illinois, the, the kid who drew it in the middle of the court. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> who just stopped Actually, at I think court. it was Parquet who ran over him. Yeah. I mean, it still takes some stones of to course. take the contact. And because Parquet was going full speed, and he just stopped in the middle of the court and took it. After the game, I asked both Harkless and Keyshawn Gilbert about, you know, what makes it possible for them to want to take charges. And I think you hear it on here. You know, is it is that something that's a learned trait, or you just have that from a young age? It's something that the coaches drill in us every day. I don't care if it's walkthrough. I don't care what it is. It's something important for our defense. Um, it's something you got to be willing to do. You got to be a team guy, selfless to do that. And I think that's something we all take pride in. Um, you know, going to help us win the game today. Um, help them get God in foul trouble. So I think gives us the ball back. So we see how important it is. So I just think we take pride in that. Uh, I think it's just something that you got to want to do. It's part of winning. You got to scrap. You got to get dirty. So I think that's just a part of winning. So if you want to win, then you'll take charges. And it was a big deal last night. Really big. Mm-hmm. Because this is not a gigantic UNLV team, but you had a couple of guys there who were 6'3", who both played really physical. And I think along the way, kind of wore down Southern Illinois, got him in some trouble. The other thing was the the flexibility from a lineup standpoint. Uh, The Rebels are not a big team. Right now they're kind of working with, you know, two true bigs and a third in Carl Jones who can give him some minutes, but he didn't play last night. But it's Vicky Waco, who's going to play center in a, you know, four out, one in. And he's six seven, or David Mawoka, who's six eleven. And last night it was it was Vic's time because Vic didn't foul. You know, coming into the game, Vic had a foul every three and a half minutes. He played fifty minutes. He had fourteen fouls last night. I think he turned in twenty six minutes, only two fouls. And I know you were talking about his help defense. And and, and there's so many times he gets switched onto a guard, oh, and it's like, hey, it's just another guard out there covering a guard. Yep. He, no, I, I thought so. Those situations where again, where it speaks to the benefit of running the lineups that they do. Switch one through five, and we're going to be comfortable in whatever the matchup is. Uh, but the other is, like I said, there were so many times where it looked like there was an SIU player who maybe had their guy beat, and all of a sudden there's Vic. Like, there's a Waku just popping up out of nowhere just and solid too. Like, okay, nope, you're not going anywhere here. you got to get rid of the ball or else you're going to draw a charge like we were talking about. I, I thought he was awesome yesterday. And there's a reason why like, he played, what, 26 minutes compared to 11 from Mawoka. But every time he went in there, he like you guys kept talking about on the broadcast, energy – that was it. Like, the energy was there. He's quick. He was in control, too, to your point about the fouls. He was in control. He didn't have any bad hands. He had no swatting or anything like that. He took one – there was one bad foul where he pulled the guy down when he went to the ground. Yeah. 
and he got called late. But, like, other than that, it was super impressive, man. So next up is Minnesota. That's tomorrow night. It's a 7.30 start, 7 o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas with John and Curtis on the pregame. Uh, Kevin Kruger, after the win, knowing the matchup was going to be Minnesota, talked about the Golden Gophers. They're big. They're physical. Um, our ball pressure is going to have to be elite. Uh, not giving them clean looks to throw it down there to you know Payne, Garcia, uh, Battle, whoever, whoever it may be, because they've got a lot of really skilled big guys, um, which also kind of you know it's easy to forget about how good and talented and uh, explosive their guards can be when uh, just watching the the Cal Baptist game uh, with them, just seeing how how. Uh, kind of determined they were to, to play in the post and, and throw down to those guys. Those guys work incredibly hard. So our, we got our work cut out for us. It's a, it's a, a big opportunity, a big challenge. So, um, but we're going to we're gonna have to do our best to speed them up. That's it. That's the whole season right there. Mm-hmm. Right? In most cases, we're going to have to do our best to speed them up because most teams are going to be bigger. This is the way they built the UNLV roster is to go small V big. And Minnesota's big. <laughs> really what do you think? For Minnesota? Oh, they were, they were super impressed. Well, and not, not only they're big, but they're 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 deep with their size, right? Like it, we talked about the freshman kid Payne coming off the bench and performing pretty well. And double and double. It, yep, it had what ten and thirteen and ten or something like that. Or actually, no, I think it was like fourteen and thirteen, whatever it was. Um, that's the thing that I think is pretty surprising because when you look at it, like, are they going to be forced into that game where if they're not going to be able to get sped up, is it just going to be dealing with post-ups and back-downs and how you're operating there if you're going to start to double? Because I thought some of the times last night where they got in trouble was where they would throw the occasional double, and then and Southern Illinois is really good at moving the ball out of that and finding an open shooter. And if that's going to work here against Minnesota, because if you're going to double because you have a lack of size, does that all of a sudden start to swing out to other guys and you give some open three-point shots as well? Minnesota is built to play big v. big because yeah. that's what the Big Ten is which I've also pointed out for the last couple of years, it's also why the Big Ten come NCAA tournament time Loses. doesn't do that well because they're too big, because they can't defend smalls. Now, the, the bigs on Minnesota are actually guys who have stretch elements, mm-hmm. which is cool, but I'm, I'm interested to see you know small pressure, ball handling, um, if that outdoes you know, a lot of size, and especially work on the offensive class. They're, they're skilled. They're very skilled. And I think, too, we should point out like one of the things that I would like to see as well is – like how Gilbert and others handled their own offense. Because there was a lot, I think, was there at least five times where Gilbert was driving and just like slipped and fell? Like he, they, were, they were falling on the floor and they were getting lucky with some of those because the ball would get loose and a, a teammate would grab it and they would circle it back out and reset. But that was one of the things, too, that really stuck out yesterday. And you talk about combating size, you know, the middle of the floor is not going to be that, like, that wide open for you if there's that much size. You can't just drive wildly into the lane and either hope to – because Gilbert had three and one scenarios yesterday and hope to just throw up a shot and have it go in and get a foul call on top of it. Grab bags on the way. Really nice honor for Max Crosby. We'll tell you about it. Wednesdays, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Closing out the show, Cofield and Company, John Von Tobel's here. Great job with the setup. Great job by Ari back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Into the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, it's funny, this is like a little mini basketball convention. When you come to these tournaments, and we're in Dana Point, California, following UNLV, 
basketball as they're playing in the SoCal Challenge, uh, all the teams and fans, most of the fans, are staying in the same hotel. So we're running across like you know different uh, coaching staffs and players, and we were just talking to uh, one of the uh, members of another school that is here, and they were raving about UNLV. Now it's funny. We were just talking about small, 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 small with UNLV and the way they built a team. Understand what we're saying. We're talking about small lineups with a big, mm-hmm. a five, and then four out, right? So a big and four out. That doesn't mean the team is small. It's just not traditional three, four, five. Because there's a way to build a smaller team that's still thick and bigger than normal. It sounds weird. But if all your four out guys are six three, six four, six six, you know, and thicker. Right. Then that changes things and that was absolutely what Kevin Kruger had in mind. We're gonna build a defensive team and we're gonna make sure that when we play Matt Bradley, listen, Matt Bradley at San Diego State is a behemoth. He's the he's the most ridiculously built guard I've ever seen. He's six three and like two hundred and thirty pounds. He's a bodybuilder. Now you're not gonna get those guys, but what you can have and you know, God love him, but you know, when you have Mike Nuga who Tried last year, and he's 5'11", 190. Right. That's tough. Now, Jackie Johnson's 5'11". He's probably 205. Um, and if you if you look at the guards for UNLV, most of them are older guards. And even Keyshawn Gilbert's put on some weight, but he's, you know, he's close to 6'3", 6'4". So uh, this person from another program was like, yeah, UNLV was big on the perimeter, and you know he was saying we were just too small. Right. Well, and I think so – I always think like one of the concepts or one of the things that is lost when you talk about teams that can switch, it's like, yeah, they're all similarly sized guys, but you got to be able to hold up on the other end of a switch. And UNLV can. Yeah. Like, that's the cool part is Luis Rodriguez can switch on to a forward or a big. And you know what? When they're trying to back him down, he can probably hold up pretty well in most matchups unless it's like a 7-1 dude who's got a pretty nice hook shot because they just shoot it over him. But yeah. like from a physical standpoint, that's always, I think, one of the concepts of switching that's not really talked about a lot. Sure, you can have a bunch of guys that are similar in size and switch, but they got to be able to hold up on the other side of that switch, yeah. and you know we can do it. Uh, Minnesota's best player is Jamison Battle. He's coming off an injury. Just played his first game of the season last night. I think he finished the game 4 or 15 from the floor. Yeah. Solid. He forced too many things, but he's a professional basketball player. At some point, he's he plays a three. He's six seven, about two hundred and fifteen pounds. And what you're going to see is probably a mix of Lou Rod covering him, but more likely Parquet, Gilbert, and Harkless, and all and all switching on him. All switching on him. And to your point about being a pro basketball player, it's funny because I thought that because there were a lot of shots where he would get it on the baseline and like post somebody up and just kind of spin off and try to hit a jumper. There were a couple that he hit that were kind of <laughs> nice. But for the most part, he does have an NBA-type game uh, for himself. as in, Like a lot of working in isolation, which I don't think really works against this UNLV team. I think you want to work for your open shots. So I think they'd have a pretty good time in terms of containing him. But, yeah, NBA-type game is uh, – I, th- I thought of watching an NBA player when I was watching a play last night. Back in the back. Stick your hand in there, Dave. But I had to mention this one, and I'm not sure that you saw this about two weeks ago. So uh, Syracuse and Jim Beheim uh, just won the other night at Barclays. They had to go to overtime against Richmond. Uh, Syracuse looks like a team that's going to kind of be middle of the road in the ACC. It's just Jim Beheim is just limping to the end here. He probably should have walked a couple of years ago. He's a stubborn old man. And I, I missed this one a couple of weeks ago. Jim Beheim rips Big Ten. They sucked in the tournament compared to the ACC. So Jim Beheim essentially is now like Vandy in football with SEC, SEC. Like now he's chanting ACC. You went 16 and 17. 
a year ago. I don't think you get to latch on to the rest of the ACC. Duke in North Carolina went to the Final Four. You didn't sniff it. I just love this. My conference is better than the big. You're barely in the conference. You've barely competed in the conference. Come on, Jim. He's gone to the Sweet 16 twice since 2018. Based on their standards he set? Yeah. Come on. 16 and 17 last year? 10 and 10 in ACC play the year before that. Right? <laughs> it's been a lot of mediocrity yep. down the stretch here.